Uh, we're going to get into chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. And so I'm going to, I'm going to introduce this topic. And um, I just think it's, it's a very challenging, uh, important topic for us to look at. But to introduce it, I just want to talk about how we're in a battle. We are in a battle. The Christian life, if you're not aware of it, is a battle. This is not, um, it's a war that we're in. You know, maybe you, maybe you just got saved and you didn't realize you're in a battle. Well, you're in a battle. And it's a battle between truth and error, between light and darkness, between God's ways and the ways of this world and the ways of Satan. And it's been a battle since the beginning. If you think back, think back to, to Genesis. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Think back to God giving Adam and Eve the first commandment which is that they could eat from every tree in the garden except from one tree. And then what was it that the enemy did? What did he try to come and do and succeeded at? Deceiving Adam, deceiving Eve into believing that what God said was not true. And so that has been a battle from the beginning. And so I just want to show you what Scripture says about this battle that we're in. This, this, you know, in the New Testament, it is clear especially in the Apostle Paul's writings, that we are in a spiritual battle in our lives. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare, of the battle we're in, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we're in a battle, we have weapons, and we have a warfare that we're in. Ephesians 6.10 and 11 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So you wouldn't be in a battle if you didn't need armor, right? So you don't put on armor just to to put on armor. You put on armor because we're in a spiritual battle. I think some of us don't think we're in a spiritual battle because there's an unseen realm that we just, we're, we're not aware of and we don't see into that realm. But there is a real devil with real demons who have an objective to try to hinder God's word from being real and alive in our hearts and to stop us from proclaiming that message. And to hinder, to try his best to to hinder and keep the eyes of the world blinded to the truth of the gospel. 1 Peter 5.8, because of this battle, 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be sober-minded. Be watchful, be sober-minded, be watchful. That means live in a way of understanding that this is a battle, that that life life is serious because of this battle that we face. Be sober-minded and be watchful. We have an adversary, your adversary. Who's our adversary? The devil. He, not our spouse, that's correct. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring Lion seeking someone to devour. And so we are, we are in a battle. But the battle that, that we face, again, like it said, like we, like we just read, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not, it's not against, it's not, it's not against our spouse. It's not, it's not against our boss. It's, it's not against, it's, we're not battling, uh, you know, uh, the, the flesh and blood and, 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 and we're not a battling this culture, people in the world. We're not battling those, those things. I think sometimes Christians can position themselves in such a way that they believe that they're battling against non-believers. Non-believers are not our enemy. Non-believers are our, are our, are our mission. 
They're the ones that we're called to as Christians not to battle and fight against, but to love and, and to seek and to pursue and to declare the gospel message to. That They are not the, the enemy. The devil is the enemy. And so the, the, the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that the Christian life is likened to a battle. It is a battle for the mind. It's a battle between truth and error. Truth and lies. God is truth. And Satan is the father of lies. God's word is the source of divine truth. And Satan has tried, as we said, from the beginning to undermine, to twist, to distort, and convince people to not believe it. It's a battle for the mind. And just just think about it just for a second. What is the gospel message? The gospel message comes from Scripture. And the gospel message has to be understood where? In your mind. It's in your mind. It's in your thoughts. You have to believe. How do you believe? How can somebody believe? They have to hear it first. In their mind. And then they, they, then they internalize it and believe it in their heart. Romans 10.10. 10. And then they confess it with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he's been raised from the dead. And then, then they're saved. So, so fundamentally, this battle is about truth. It's about what do you believe? What do you believe is true? What do you believe is false? That's where the battle rages. And so let's go back to 2 Corinthians 10. We, we read in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, For the weapons of our warfare are, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And what are the strongholds that we destroy? We destroy arguments arguments it's in the mind we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised up against the knowledge of god where do we find the knowledge of who god is we have a complete testimony a revelation from god that reveals to us who god is what his nature is like what his heart is like how he's chosen to reveal himself to us this is the knowledge of god and the battle we're in is to destroy the arguments that are raised up against that knowledge and are trying to convince people that this knowledge is not true. That's the battle we're in. Do you guys, you guys follow me? This is the battle that we're in. And if you didn't know you were in that battle, welcome to the battle. Welcome to the war. That's the battle that you're in. And you have a responsibility in that battle. And sometimes that responsibility is to destroy those arguments in your own mind. That's raised up against the knowledge of God in your heart. You destroy those arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And you take every thought captive to obey Christ. And God's also not only called you to, do, to, to battle in your own mind, but in, in the lives of your wife and your kids and your family members. And, and the people, the ones that are not our enemy, the ones that are in the world, you're called to battle for them. To declare what's true and what's right. And so most people believe that the battle rages primarily in the world. That this battle we're talking about, the spiritual battle, it's in the world. But in this context, in 2 Timothy 3, now we're going to get into the specific context of this passage. In this, context, in this passage that we're going to read, 2 Timothy 3, uh, the first 13 verses, The Apostle Paul is addressing the battle that is raging over truth in the church. In the church. 
And this has been, this has been one of the main themes from 1st Timothy all the way into this section and into 2nd Timothy. One of the main themes has, has been false teachers. And this is why I believe false teaching is so deadly. Because I believe that we're in a battle about truth and error, this is why false teaching is so deadly. Satan was the first false teacher. Satan was the very first false teacher. He preached a false message to Eve. And he said his message was this. Simply, did God really say? Planted seeds of doubt into Eve's mind. He's the first false teacher. And because he was the first false teacher, every false teaching that has come after him has been motivated by him. Because he's the father of lies, the father of false teaching. And so... When false teaching comes into the church, it's something that we have to stand up against and say, no, this is not true. This is not right. We avoid false teachers. We avoid false teaching. And this is the context that we look at in 2 Timothy 3. And so what I want to do tonight, this is a little bit of a a different message that we're going to do, but it's kind of like like we're just going to do a case study on false teachers and on false teaching. We're going to examine what, what makes a false teacher And what makes false teaching? And so we have two questions that we're going to answer, two main questions. What are the characteristics of false teachers? And what are the characteristics of false teaching? I want us all to be aware of what those are, to see them clearly so that we can be armed. You know, truth arms us for the battle. So I've already established we're in a battle. I think you guys get it and understand that we're in a battle. But you need to be sharp and be aware, be sober-minded. Be aware, be watchful. And we're able to be watchful against the schemes of the enemy to not only protect our own hearts and our own minds, but those that we love. And, and then also to, to protect brothers and sisters in Christ from false teaching that continually tries to infiltrate the church. Not just our church, but churches all over the place, all over the world. False teachers and false teaching has spread throughout history. So let, let's, let's do this. We're going to answer those two questions. What are the characteristics of false teachers and of false teaching. But let, let, let's read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So when you read those first four verses, you think, man, the battle's in the world. That's all those people that are out there. That's, 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 that, and that can describe people that are in the world and not in the church. But notice what it says. It describes these people. And notice what it says, verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. So here's the picture the Apostle Paul is painting with Timothy. He's telling them, you're gonna, this is this group of people. They are, they are lovers of self, lovers of money, they're proud, they're arrogant, they're abusive, disobedient, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, brutal, treacherous, reckless, swollen. They, they, they appear though, they're trying to appear, this is who they are, they're trying to appear to be godly. And religious, but they're denying the power of the gospel that transforms them from the inside out. And it says, avoid such people. For among them 
are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Verse 7, always learning but and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. What men? The men that were just described in those first four verses. And Janus and Jambres, it says here, this is, there's really, there's no reference to them in the Old Testament. You won't find it in the Old Testament, but, but the Apostle Paul is reference, referencing Janus and Jambres who opposed Moses. So, as I've done some study on it, it appears that these two men could have been two of the, the uh, sorcerers or magicians that were in competition against Moses when he was with Pharaoh. And so there's not a lot of, uh, there's, not, there's, no, there's no clue in the Old Testament about who, who these are except for what Paul says here. So that, that's, a, that's an assumption. But whatever it is, the, whoever they were and whatever they did, they opposed the truth that Moses was representing and declaring. And so the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy that there's men like them who oppose the truth, these men that I just described in the first four verses. It says that these men are corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Boy, we preach a message on that one, right? That's an encouraging, that's an encouraging verse. All who, de- who desires to live godly in this life. All right, buckle your seatbelt. You're going to be persecuted. While evil people and imposters, the ones we talked about earlier, who, who are like Dead men's bones on the insides, but, but try to look godly. The imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so the Apostle Paul is painting a picture in these verses that there have been false teachers, corrupt men that have come and snuck into the church. And he's warning Timothy. He's saying, avoid those people. They are evil people. They are treacherous. They are brutal. They are, they, they, they are laden with sin. And they are deceiving women within the church to get them to do sinful acts. And you need to avoid them. You need to avoid them at all costs. Re- reject them. Remove them. Get away from them. Because they are distorting the truth. They're distorting the truth. And so in, in those verses especially 1 through 9 1 through 10 there are 18 characteristics of false teachers that Paul brings out and we read the 18 but we're not going to cover all 18 we will break it down into four main characteristics of false teachers so here's what we're going to do we're going to answer those two questions what are the characteristics of false teachers and what are the characteristics of false teaching and so the first characteristic let's go back to that first verse chuck It says, but understand this, that in the last days, and just a little side note about last days. When it says last days there, the last days that it's referencing is from the time of the ascension of Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ started the last days. And so a lot of people think that when it says the last days there, that that means that it's sometime in the future these things are going to happen. 
No, these things have been happening. People have been lovers of self and pleasure and lovers of money and arrogant and abusive since Paul's day. And that's what he's telling him that in these days, in these last days, the, 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 the days of the church, in these days, post-resurrection of Jesus Christ, this, this, this is how men uh, will, will be. And there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. So this is the first main characteristic of false teachers, is that they're lovers of self. And I believe that everything that flows, all those other 18 characteristics, they flow out of that heart condition. That they're lovers of self. People that are false teachers, you can pick them off really easy. They're all about themselves. They make everything about themselves. They, 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 they end up, the, the, the messages that they preach, the life that, that they live, ends up coming back to them. It's about their life. It's about their self-advancement. They are lovers of self. They are self-centered. They are focused on their needs, their, their desires. And the end game in their life is to preach a message that will advance their purpose and what they're here to do. They are not Christ-focused. They're self-focused. As opposed to being about the glory of God and the glory of Christ, they are focused on their self. They're lovers of self. They love pleasure. They love to be the center of attention. They love to have people talk about them and how good they are, how awesome they are. They love to be in the, the, the center of attention, to be praised and honored. They are lovers of self. Secondly, it says in there, and, and we, we won't go back to the text, but it says, it says there that they're lovers of money. So the second characteristic is that they're greedy. One of the, one of the things that you can note about a false teacher, find out what his end game is, and a lot of the time it has to do with money, is that they're trying to preach a message, promote a ministry, that in the end it's about them enriching themselves. Whenever you hear a, a, a minister and they continually are talking about money and how it tends to always be that money is the central focus of their view of Christianity, it's, it's a, it's a, that's a false teacher. You know, it's not, Christianity is not about money. The, the, the Bible says that blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it doesn't mean poor in finances, but, but there's not a, a message that talks about rich people. Actually, Jesus said it's hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. The, the opposite is actually true. So when, when, when you hear people talk about how, you know, you have problems in your life and the way to get out of those problems is for you to pay tithe or to give money into this ministry, into some ministry, especially on TV. And if you give a certain, you give a certain percentage of money, a certain dollar amount, then God's going to give you a breakthrough. In case you don't already know, that's not true. That is not true. It really is not true. It, it, it's, it's a lot. It's a, it's a manipulation that people are using to enrich themselves. You know, I, money is not bad. Money is a tool. And it takes money, it takes money to, to run ministries and to run churches. So I'm not, a, I'm not anti-money. It takes money for missionaries to get on planes and fly across the world and preach the gospel to un, unreached people groups. You know, they don't give away plane tickets. So it takes money to, to spread the gospel to the nations. But it's not, Christianity is not about money. It's not about getting rich. And I, and I do have problems whenever ministers and preachers fly around in their multi-million dollar jets and, and they flaunt that because it's, it's not a representation of what the gospel is about. It's not a representation of what the gospel is about. So greed is a characteristic of false teachers. Here's a third characteristic. Domineering. They're domineering. 
Um, of course, as it goes through that list, it does talk about them being abusive and slanderous and, and controlling. And so I, 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 I described it as being domineering. That's a characteristic of, of a false teacher. They cannot be told what to do. They're domineering. They have to have the control. They have to have the power. They're domineering. They're abusive. They're hurtful with their words. You guys ever been around somebody like that? It just sucks the air out of the room because they, 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 they think that they are there to, to rule everybody around them and they're, and they're controlling, they're domineering. You know, Jesus gave us the model of what a leader is supposed to be like. And what, and what was that model? Anybody want to shout it out to me? A servant. What did Jesus do? Think, think about this. Jesus was, Jesus could have been the most domineering leader out there because he was God. He could have told everybody, you're going to do what I say because you have no choice. Because I'm going to make you follow me and serve me. I'm going to make you do what I say because I can do that because I'm God. He had all of the power. But in Philippians 2, what does it say about Jesus? He said he, he, he had all the right, all, all the authority and all the power. But he humbled himself as a servant and came to serve us and not to be served. And so he laid aside that right and that prerogative to be that type of leader. And he, he, and he came and gave the example of what a true leader is to be. And so what did he do? He came and he washed the feet of his disciples. You have right before he washed the feet of the disciples. Right before that, the disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Trying to be domineering leaders. Trying to fight for control. You know, I spoke this afternoon at... Uh, at Danos, uh, I spoke at their Bible study, and that's what I—that's what I talked about. I talked about how the way of the world is that to make it to the top, to be a great leader, you got to claw your way up, and you got to—you got to step on everybody on the way up to the top. That's what—that's that, what a domineering leader does. That's what a domineering person does. A controlling person does. But Jesus gave us a complete opposite picture. He says to be a true leader. To be a leader that pleases God. To be a, a servant leader means that you come in humility. You come to serve others' needs and not to be served. That's what it means to be a true, genuine shepherd and leader. That you are there to meet the needs of the people that God has given you to serve. And you can peg a false teacher right away. They're not willing to do anything for anybody else. They're not willing to lift a finger to remove burdens from other people. They're there to have people give things to them. And to meet their needs. It's a false teacher. Lastly, a characteristic of a false teacher is that they, false teachers lead, they, 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 they lead others in, into sin. They lead others into sin. And that's what it said in that text in 2 Timothy 3. It says that these men, these corrupt men that are lovers of self, greedy and domineering, they, they not only have those characteristics, but they, they lead people into sin. It talks about weak women that are filled with passion says that they lead them astray into sin. And so how many stories can you think about? I mean, I could just sit here and just recount story after story of people who were false teachers, who were led astray and led other people astray into sin and eventually got caught. Eventually it was exposed. And it typically it ends up being where somebody who is in that category, it ends up in some type of sinful exposure in their life because they lead themselves into sin and lead others into sin. So those are four main characteristics of false teachers. Four main characteristics, ways, ways 
to recognize them. And they were alive in Paul's day. And they're alive in our day. And they were alive in Jesus' day. Just want, I want you to see something. Those four characteristics. Lovers of self. Greedy. Domineering. And leading others into sin. Let's look at Matthew, let's look at Matthew 23. This is the, the, the woes of the scribes and Pharisees. Let's check this out. These were the spiritual leaders. The so-called spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. Let's see if we can find the characteristics of these false teachers that Paul described in 2 Timothy 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They are lovers of self. They are, they are in it for themselves. They are not who they claim to be. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They're about themselves. They're self-centered. They're domineering. They're not there to help others, but they're there to lay burdens on other people. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. That's that, that's that self-focus. They are, they are lovers of self. They do whatever they do to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And a phylactery was a, was a leather box that the scribes and the Pharisees would, would, would wear that in that box would be portions of the Old Testament scripture. And they, they, they wanted, they, they would wear it around their forehead and they were so trying to demonstrate that they loved God's word that they would put it on their forehead to demonstrate that, that it was ever in front of them. So it says that, that to, to demonstrate that they were religious, they would broaden their phylacteries, make them big and, and able to be seen by others. But they do all of those things to be seen. And they love the place of honor. They're self-focused at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Let's go to the next section. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Wow. You thought, you thought Jesus, man, Jesus, Jesus called out false teachers. Let's go back to the next section. Let's go to the next section. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean out the outside of the cup and the plate. But inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. There's that, other, there's, that character, there's that characteristic, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and, and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. Outwardly appear beautiful. What, what, what did Paul say in Second Timothy there? He says, they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So you had the false teachers in Jesus' day, you have them in Paul's day, and you have them today. And those are the four main characteristics of false teachers. So I just want to arm you with, 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 with that truth. You can recognize them, you can see it, and, you can, and it can be plain 
to you. But I'll, I'll just tell you this. It is very rare. It will be very rare that you will come into personal contact with a false teacher. Be very rare for you to actually live next door to them or, or pass them at the store or come in contact with them. Um, I, think, I think I can probably say that I've been in the presence of maybe one person that I, that I would be bold enough to say is a false teacher. Because I'm, 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 you don't want to throw that term around loosely. It's a bold term to, to throw around. But I think I've been in the presence of somebody I would call a false teacher because this, these things that we've described is who they are. And it's sobering. But it's very rare you'll be in the contact, in the personal contact with the false teacher. But I guarantee you that you will be in contact with their teaching. You will, be in, you will have the opportunity to be in contact with false teaching. In, at, at almost every day of your life, if you wanted to be, just go, just go, just, just, just go to YouTube, go to Vimeo, go to Facebook, go on the internet. You can be in contact with false teaching at the drop of a hat. There are, there is so much garbage out there on the internet and in CDs and DVDs and uh, there, there's no more tapes out there, but CDs and DVDs and MP3s and, 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 and just on YouTube and so many media ways, outlets to get a hold of false teaching. You may never be in personal contact with the false teacher, but I guarantee you, if you, if you don't have to try very hard to come in contact with false teaching. And some of you think, well, wait a minute, how am I going to know? How am I going to know what false teaching is? Well, this is what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to help you recognize. I helped you to see what motivates a false teacher. What, what are the four motivations? Greed. Self-centeredness, self-focus, dom- they're, they're domineering, and, and they lead others into sin. They have sinful lifestyles. But what characterizes their teachings? How can you recognize false teachings? What are the four main characteristics of false teachers? Now, look, there can be other characteristics of their messages. But these, I think, are four fundamental characteristics of false teaching that comes from false teachers. Number one. Their teaching leads people away from the sufficiency of Christ. A false teacher teaches a message that leads people away from the sufficiency of Christ. So what do we mean? What do I mean by the sufficiency of Christ? It means that salvation comes from Christ alone. Grace alone. Through faith alone. Through Christ alone. Salvation comes through no other means. No other means it is not grace alone faith alone christ alone and then any other means it is through jesus alone jesus is the central figure of christianity and salvation comes only through him so any message or system of belief that is taught that points you away to christ points you away from christ in that teaching and in that message and points you to any other means to be justified is a false message it's a false message the question of the age is how can a man be right before god that is the question of all questions that has to be answered by every human being that is a, that has ever lived how can a man or a woman be right before god and there is only one way according to the word of god and that is through faith in jesus christ it's not faith in jesus christ plus the sacraments It's not faith in Jesus Christ plus good works. It's not faith in Jesus Christ plus praying to the saints. It's not faith in Jesus Christ plus church attendance, plus taking communion, 
plus confession of your sins. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is God and was raised from the dead and you shall be saved. So in the other system of belief that points away from sufficiency in Christ is a false system. You can peg it quickly. You can peg it quickly. You, you can look at a religious system and that they point you to, a, to another man and they say that that person has the revelation. You guys ever heard of systems like that? This person got together with God and God revealed to him a new way or a different way or a, or a, more, a, 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 a more perfect way. Jesus is good and we believe that Jesus is God, but this man over here, he's, he's got more revelation. It's pointing away from, a suffic- from the sufficiency of Christ for salvation. That's a false system of belief. You can peg it right away. S- sufficiency of Christ. You know, there can be a system of belief out there that will tell you that, that your justification, which means your right standing with God, is determined by how you maintain that justification. By the things that you do. That's a false system. And it breeds people placing their hope in things that God never gave us hope in. So that, that's, that's the first characteristic of a false message. Is that it points away from the sufficiency of Christ. The second characteristic of a false message is that it leads people away from the sufficiency of scripture. From the sufficiency of scripture. And so how, how do we know the gospel as we talked about? Through the Bible. If God had not revealed his word to us, we would not have the gospel message. God has given us the gospel message through his word. This is the once for all revealed word of God. And this is the means in which he's chosen to reveal to us who he is. And so any other religion, any other system of belief that points you away from God's word is a false system of belief. Um... There are religious systems that will point to other writings and say that they are parallel with Scripture. That's a false message. It's a false system. Just like I said, there can be men who will say, well, God's given me revelation. Just like Joseph Smith. He said that he got these tablets from God and the message came down. He went in a cave and got these messages and and that people need to believe what God subjectively told him. And it's supposed to be parallel with God's word. It's a false message. Any message that's out there that points away from the sufficiency of scripture is a false message. Anyone that tells you, believe me because God told me this. Believe me and they can't back it up with scripture. Believe me because God told me this. It's a false system of belief, a false message. What's the third characteristic of false teaching? And this one, I just want to tell you, is subtle. We can, tend to, we can tend to peg off the first two pretty quickly, right? People are not pointing to Christ. They're pointing away from a trust in, in Scripture. This third one, I'm telling you, is subtle and it's difficult to, to really peg. False teachers, there, 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 there can be false teachers that point people towards self-sufficiency. self Sufficiency. So what I mean by self-sufficiency? What I mean is, is that they tell you that the power is within you. 
Basically, you are religion. You are your own religion. Can anybody think of messages like that that you've heard? See, some people don't think... They would categorize false teachers as wearing, like, suits and gold jewelry and driving around in Bentleys. But there are a lot more false teachers out there than just people who are acting like preachers. There are a lot of other people that are false teachers that people believe and listen to that don't even look like preachers, but they're preaching false messages that can infiltrate into people's lives and they can believe wrong things. And so a false teacher preaches a message that says that you are the center. Let me turn this off. I'm going to get this mic. from Christ being your sufficiency. And so your world becomes about you. You know, you know life's not about you, right? You guys know that? Life's not about you. It's not about the power being in you. Life is not about you becoming the best you that you can possibly be. That's not what life is about. Life is about you living your life to glorify Christ. It's not about you being empowered and being strengthened, being the best that you can possibly be. Does God want you to be strong and be strengthened? Yes, he does. God, God, God is for you. He's not against you. But Christianity is not about you being the best you that you can possibly be. Christianity is about you dying. Christianity is a religion of death. It's, it's, it's a religion of sacrifice. What did, what did Jesus say? He says, take up your cross and follow me. Taking up your cross is, is about dying to yourself, dying to your ways, dying to what you want, to your life. But false religion, false teachers will tell you that your Christian life is about you self, self-fulfilling everything, every desire that you have possibly ever had coming to fruition in your life because it's, it centers around you. That, that is a false message. Christianity is not about you. It's about Christ. It's about glorifying God. I, I know it's difficult. I know, I, I know that's hard to hear, but Christianity is not about us. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about us glorifying him. Jesus didn't have to die for me. Didn't have to die for you. He died for us because he loved us so that we, by our surrender to him, would glorify his name. Any belief system, any person who teaches you something different than that is, is teaching a false message. You know, there's so many people in their life, their Christian experience is, is, is simply about how they can go from one great experience to another great experience to a, another mountaintop experience. And life is about them. It's a false message. It's a false system. Fourthly, another characteristic of false teaching is that false teachers tend to downplay the significance of sin. They downplay the significance of sin. Now, this can come in, in, in many different forms, but one way that it comes is that it comes through this idea that, that because we're saved by grace, that somehow that grace puts us in a position that we don't have to even worry about sin. We don't have to worry about mortifying the flesh. There's this idea that we don't have to worry about disciplining our flesh and rejecting sin because we are, we are under grace. That's a false message. Any message that is taught that downplays the significance and the weightiness of sin is a false message. You know, sin in a non-believer's life and sin in a believer's life is offensive to God in the same way. 
when I sin as a believer, it is just offensive to God. It's just as offensive to God as, a, as the sin of somebody who's not saved. Because sin is sin. Just because I'm saved by grace doesn't mean that, that I can think lightly about sin. Just because I'm saved and I couldn't earn it does not, does not mean that I don't have to care about sin. Doesn't mean that I don't have to repent of my sin. You know, first, first John chapter one, it goes through several verses there. And it talks, it, it contrasts those who are false believers and those that are true. And it talks about, it culminates in verse nine. And it says, if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our, our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But when it goes through that flow, it contrasts the difference between a true believer and a false. And it starts with, it starts with the false. And it says that somebody who says, if they say, if someone says they say they have no sin, they deceive themselves and they, and they make themselves a liar. They make God and themselves a liar. But if somebody, it by contrast, acknowledges their sin, confesses their sin, then God is faithful and just to forgive them of their sin. And so it's a false message. It's a false approach to downplay the significance of sin. A true believer recognizes sin, acknowledges sin, is quick to repent. The reason we're quick to repent is because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, right? That's the reason why we are quick to repent. It's, it's a proof of our salvation. But whenever somebody comes, and it's subtle, we don't always catch it. It's hard to see it. But, but whenever a preacher and a person will not talk about sin, because it's all about grace, that's, that's, that's a clue that they don't understand the significance of sin and how it is offensive to a holy God. You know, Paul dealt with it. He dealt with it in the book of Romans, chapter 6. There was people in his day that had the same approach, false teachers in, in his day. And he had to address it. And he said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin because grace abounds? And what was Paul's answer? By no means. God forbid. How can we, who have died to sin, continue in it any longer? So the char- one characteristic of, the, of a false teacher's message is that they downplay the significance of sin. So the four characteristics of false teaching is that it leads people away from the sufficiency of Christ. We're saved by Christ alone, not by anything else. By Christ alone, through faith alone, grace alone. And any system of belief that points you away from Scripture, points you to yourself, and your life is all about you, and, that down, and they downplay the significance of sin. Those are the characteristics of false, false teachers. So next time you're on YouTube, next time you're listening to your favorite preacher, maybe I ruined it for you. I apologize. I'm not trying to ruin your favorite preacher. Look, I'm, I'm, not, about, I'm not about labeling people false teachers. But I, I tell you what, I am about pr- pr- protecting God's people. I, I, I just want you to know there's a lot of junk out there. And, I, and, and not every false message has all four of those points in them, right? That's very rare where you have all four of those things because the devil's tricky. But he can get somebody, they're preaching about Jesus, but there's something in their message that is not right, that is not healthy for you. And I believe the greatest need in the body of Christ is discernment. We have so many gullible Christians in the church that just will take anything that anybody says because they're charismatic, because they sound good because they're great communicators, because they have a big light show and, and they put on a big, a, a big, 
a big thing in their church and it looks good. It sounds good. They have great music. You can have all of those elements, great music. You can preach good. You can sound good. You can be convincing. But if, if, if you don't preach the simple gospel message, if you don't point people to Christ and repentance of sins and point people away from themselves and to God, you're call, and, and, you're, and you're influencing people to set up false systems of belief in their life, it's a false message. And you need to be protected from, from that. And so I hope, I hope I did ruin some of your, some of your favorite messages that you listen to because i want you to think deeply i just don't want you to take anything and don't just take anything in because somebody said it well don't take what i say just because i say it well you may disagree with with what i say or pastor renee says or, 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 or any preacher says don't just don't just take it because somebody communicates it well take it because what they're saying is god's word and the, listen i'm just about done I'm, i know i've been ranting this is why it is so important for preachers to preach the Bible. What do we preach? We're going to hear it next week. I don't know if Pastor Nate's going to get to it, but in chapter 4, what does Paul tell Timothy? Preach the Word. Preach the Word. If we preach the Bible, we can't go wrong. But when we get into all this other mumbo-jumbo, fluff-type self-help, be the best you can, you can possibly be, that's... That's not the word of God. Preach the word to God. The word of God confronts. The word of God doesn't always make you feel happy about yourself. The word of God is a mirror that when you look at it, you see who you really are. It confronts our sin. It, it, it confronts our self-centeredness. And it should drive us to our knees and surrender to Christ. So I, I hope I messed you up. So just be messed up tonight. When you go home and you're going to listen to your favorite preacher and be like, man, Ben messed me up. I see that. I see what he's saying. Well, thank God. I hope you see it. And I hope you think deeply about it. This message stands as a warning to us as believers. Truth matters. What we believe matters. If it didn't matter, God wouldn't have written a book. He would have just left us with subjective understanding of who he is. He has not done that. He has given us clear, objective revelation, black and white, objective revelation about who he is, how he has chosen to engage us in relationship, and how those truths apply in our life. Truth matters because God made it matter by writing us an objective revelation of who he is. All right? Our greatest need is discernment. I want to read something to you. In closing, 2 Timothy 3.10. I want, it to, I want to, to, to describe, in closing, a true teacher. The Apostle Paul. He's encouraging Timothy. He says, but you, Timothy, after he described those false teachers, but you, Timothy, you certainly know what I teach. It's important what we teach. Truth matters. And how I live. You know, you can teach all you want. I can teach all I want and tell you and tell you that truth matters. But if I'm an adulterer and a liar and a cheat and, 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 and you can't trust me because I'm a deceiver, then my teaching doesn't matter. But what's Paul telling Timothy? Cer- certainly, you know what I teach and how I live. That's one thing about false teachers. You don't just like I said, you won't ever really be around them. because You don't really know their life. But how I live 
and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. So don't, don't listen. Don't, don't, don't take too deeply all those TV preachers that you don't know and all those YouTube preachers that, that you don't know. Listen to your pastor. Watch how he lives. Listen to him teach. Watch how he lives. See his life, his peace, his faith, his patience, his endurance, his love. Those are the ones you can trust, the ones that you know. Those, those satellite guys that are a million miles away that you're watching, you don't know them. But you know your pastor. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. You know my life. You know who I really am. I'm a true shepherd because I live what I teach. Amen? All right. I told you it was a different message. You guys hung in there. You guys are awesome. I just, you know, it was just kind of a warning message. So I know there's no life application. So what's the life application? I've got to give you a life application. Don't listen to false teachers. <laughs> Stay away from them. And, and, and love God's word. Love God's word. Love God's word enough to care about whether it's misrepresented. And, and, and when you come up against false teaching, man, just, just turn it off. Just turn it off. And, and what did we learn last week? It doesn't pay to argue with the false teachers. You're just wasting your time. Just don't listen to them. Don't, 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 go, on, don't go on YouTube and start commenting against the false teacher. They're not, they're not watching the comments, I promise you. Right? They don't care what you think. They're, they're all in it for the money. All right? I'm going to pray for you. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this word, this encouragement, this challenge. Lord, I pray that we would leave challenge, that we would not take lightly your truth, but, Lord, that we, because you have objectively revealed yourself to us in Scripture, because you've done that, Lord, we know that truth matters and that we are called as pastors and as Christians to rightly handle the word of truth, to cut it straight, to preach it right, to preach it true. And, Lord, because of that, Lord, may we always be be filled with discernment in our life, to be able to recognize quickly things that are false and to not let those things into our hearts, to, to change the way we think about who you are and your character and your nature. Lord, may we protect our hearts, cast down the arguments in our mind, and may we protect our friends and our family and those that we love. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.